Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A White House update on the spy balloon and the latest object shot down over North America. What we're learning and what's missing from the latest briefing. We now know that Trump's legal team had turned over more documents to the feds months after the Mar-a-Lago raid. His attorney on what happened. Florida's latest push against so-called woke ideology, this time in banking and finance. How Governor DeSantis plans to fight ESG. The latest immigration data shows a decline in unlawful crossings in January. The Biden administration says its policies are working, but a new poll shows Americans feel otherwise. A man speeding through New York City seriously injured multiple people today, running some over. Two are in critical condition. Two are in serious condition. Unprecedented in peacetime, fighter jets shot down four objects in nine days over North American airspace. NTD's Iris Tao brings us the latest on the White House's response. Questions are mounting after U.S. jets grounded three more unidentified objects in three days over North America, all happening just days after the U.S. destroyed a Chinese spy balloon. And first, for those who are wondering, the White House says... There is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. But according to the White House, the U.S. military has yet to find out where the later objects came from and what they were doing. These are just happened over the last few days and we haven't found the debris, but we're going to do everything we can to find them and that will tell us a lot. After the Chinese balloon, U.S. just took down one object over Alaska on Friday, one over Canada on Saturday, and another one over Lake Huron on Sunday. The White House says it's not ruling out the possibility that they're also for spying, adding... These objects uh, could have and, uh, and likely did at some point in their path uh, transit over you know, potential military sites of ours or sensitive sites. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is being pressed on why we're seeing and shooting down so many so-called objects all of a sudden. National Security Spokesperson John Kirby says part of it is just that the U.S. military is now looking more closely. And if you set the parameters in such a way that to look for a certain something, it's more likely that you're going to find a certain something. The White House also denies that it's political pressure that's prompting Biden to order more of such shootdowns after the Chinese spy balloon incident. This, as the administration is facing criticism from even some Democrats. I have real concerns about why the uh, administration is not being more forthcoming with everything that it knows. Meanwhile, more on the Chinese spy balloon. Kirby says it differed from the newer ones as the U.S. knew exactly what the balloon was doing. They claimed it was a weather balloon. We know it's not. Kirby also rejects China's latest claim that the U.S. has flown balloons into Chinese airspace. There is no U.S. surveillance aircraft in Chinese airspace. Oh. Lawmakers are expected to again get classified briefings on China this week. And White House says some additional briefings on the objects could already be underway as we speak. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. At earlier today, I spoke with retired U.S. Army Colonel John Mills for his perspective on the situation. Mills also worked at the Department of Defense as a director of cybersecurity policy. Let's hear from him now. John Mills, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Stephanie. Always an honor to be on your show. Now, the White House has been reticent about releasing information on these flying objects. 
You worked at the Pentagon. What's the procedure for releasing this kind of information, and why do you think they might be withholding at this time? Well, the, the simple short story is that it should come uh, the watch floor at NORAD Northcom, which is out in Colorado, should be reporting it essentially to the watch floor at the National Military Command Center, and uh, then also potentially shared with the White House if necessary. There's standing actually protocol for, for these situations, even if that we don't have a plan for every possible contingency, which we don't, but the, essentially the process template is in place. Uh, but then there's also decision points on uh, where and what to share with the public. Um, and, uh, and also uh, the White House does have a say and in involvement in that. A top Pentagon official said yesterday that we're detecting more of these flying objects because we're looking more intently for them. But at least two of the objects were low enough that they could have interfered with commercial airliners. How common is that? Well, um, I, I, we have had a, a essentially no major accidents uh, in the national airspace system uh, among commercial airliners the, uh, since 2001 Jamaica Bay uh, in New York. Uh, other than that, we have a fairly good track record of safety uh, inside the United States. Yes, there has been some regional uh, crashes, commuter crashes, but uh, relatively a, a 20 year plus streak of good, uh, good, good safety. Um, however, comma, I think what we're finding that the presumption of the national airspace system that everything in it is there's two key terms and there, it also has legal meanings. Uh, they're participative and uh, uh, they're cooperative and compliant. Uh, that means essentially they're announcing themselves through uh, primarily what's called ABS-B um, and radar sweeps, the radar returns from the radars are really secondary or tertiary. And I think we're finding out probably weren't even being looked at because we presumed that everything is squawking and identifying itself. So what do you think that these objects could be? I think it's pretty likely and uh, uh, very highly likely that these are these were Chinese spy balloons. Google briefed me in 2012 on their Loon project to use high altitude balloons, and it immediately said, "I said that looks like the old CIA uh, Skyhook and Ashcan uh, projects." And they said, "Yes, it is. We uh, they gave us the plans through a FOIA, and we replicated them." I think the Chinese very likely borrowed, stole, or were given the plans from Google, who was recycling an old CIA program. The U.S. has imposed sanctions on six Chinese firms over its spy balloon programs. What other action do you think the U.S. should take, if anything? Well, we're going to have to ramp up uh, our, our air defense. Uh, admittedly, uh, you know, we, even during the Cold War days showdown with the Soviet Union, we retired much of our air defense against bombers because we realized, because of the Corona spy satellite program, we realized the, the, the Soviets simply did not have that many bombers. And the threat was really ballistic missiles. So uh, we probably need to call up some uh, guard and reserve uh, squadrons to supplement the, the small number of interceptors we have. We may even need to deploy some Army air defense radars to provide better situational awareness in the gaps and seams we've identified. 
And we need to start taking this seriously. General Van Herc at a conference in summer of 22 actually sp spoke very clearly about his lack of air and most disturbingly, I would say, undersea situational awareness on the approach of the United States. So the Chinese found a gap in scene. They've been playing it and we're playing catch up right now. All right, John Mills, retired U.S. Colonel and former Department of Defense Cybersecurity Director. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Stephanie. Always an honor to be on your show. Over the weekend, reports said former President Trump's attorney had turned over more materials with classified markings months after the Mar-a-Lago raid. Trump's attorney has now responded. NTD's Arlene Richards has that update. We conducted a search back in December, which is where we found uh, these documents. We turned them over immediately. These were not turned over last week, although you know, the DOJ leaked it last week. This was turned over back in December. Former President Trump's attorney is clarifying to CNN when additional materials with classified markings were turned over to federal agents. Reports critical of Trump's handling of the documents say he hasn't been cooperating with investigators. His attorney disagrees. We've tried to work with the DOJ. We've tried to do searches of all the relevant places. And anytime we found anything, we've immediately turned it over. Trump faced more scrutiny after news broke that President Biden's attorneys turned over classified documents to the National Archives last November. Biden and his attorneys had stressed their willingness to cooperate. But recent emails released by the National Archives reveal Biden's attorneys likely found more classified documents than they reported last month. The archives released 74 pages on Friday in response to several Freedom of Information Act requests. In a November 7 email exchange, the archives asked Biden's attorneys to ensure that the boxes in your office in Boston remain secure in a locked space and are not accessed by anyone. The email was sent five days after Biden's attorneys said they discovered classified documents at the Penn Biden Center. When asked what the boxes were doing in the attorney's Boston office, Biden's press secretary said this. I can't speak to it from here because I just don't know what you're, you're speaking to, uh, but I would refer you to the White House counsel's office to get more uh, uh, specifics. Biden's attorneys also said in the email that they were checking for classified documents at a second Penn Biden Center located in Pennsylvania. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Proposing to end so-called woke methods in Florida's financial system, Governor Ron DeSantis today said he's targeting what's known as ESG. ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. The Corporate Finance Institute describes ESG as a system that shows stakeholders how to sustainably invest based on environmental, social and governance criteria. However, DeSantis says those criteria are used to inject political ideology into the everyday economy. One of their big targets is domestic energy production. They do not like us producing more oil and gas. Uh, they do not want us to be energy independent. He argued that ESG violates the fiduciary duty executives have to shareholders of publicly traded companies. They're supposed to make as much profit as possible by investing in the best possible options. What ESG says is, no, we're not going to do, even if it would do a better return, we're not going to allow you to invest in certain areas. You're not allowed to invest in oil and gas. You're not allowed to invest um, in, in disfavored areas. Supporters of ESG say that these investments can actually bring higher returns. Like this Financial Times article entitled, Why ESG Investing Makes Fund Managers More Money. 
However, DeSantis says that logic doesn't make sense. Because if you don't have ESG, you can invest in green stuff if it's profitable. There's no restriction on that. The governor has announced a number of proposals for the next legislative session. He wants to block ESG investment decisions at the state and local level, eliminate consideration of ESG factors by officials when issuing bonds, and ban the financial sector from considering so-called social credit scores. The next legislative session will be held in March. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. The number of people dissatisfied with immigrants coming into the U.S. has been increasing sharply. That's according to a new Gallup poll. Meanwhile, the Biden administration says its new immigration policies are working as we reached a lower number of illegal encounters in January. NTD's Melina Weiskopf has the details. While illegal immigration still lingers at record high levels, there has been a sharp drop during the first month of this year. Customs and Border Protections reports that there were just over 156,000 encounters for the month of January, which is a 40% drop from December. But while this is a drop during the Biden administration, here's more context for this new data. Prior to the Biden administration, we haven't seen that many apprehensions in a month since May 2019, and that itself was an aberration in apprehension figures. January is generally the month of the year when the fewest migrants enter the country illegally. The Biden administration says last month's decline is thanks to its new expanded humanitarian parole policy. Customs and Border Protection writing in a statement, the significant decrease in Border Patrol encounters is indicative of the successes of the measures announced by the administration. The policy in January granted more than 11,000 Cubans, Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans legal entry and work authorization. Despite the administration's efforts, Americans are increasingly discontent with its immigration policies. A Gallup poll with input from Republicans, Democrats, and independents reveals 63% of people are dissatisfied. Of that group, 64% want immigration decreased and 8% want it increased. So some lawmakers are now proposing moving separate bills in parallel, one that would address border security and another that would address immigration reform. We have asked a couple of lawmakers about this specifically. Here's a few examples of what they've told me. Border security first. Well, the, the amount of money we have spent on the border gone through the roof. Immigration reform? Nothing. So if my colleagues say we want to do them both together, I'm interested in that deal. Is look at where the money's going. This has turned into a multi-billion dollar operation within the United States, many of it fraudulent in the sense that uh, much of it went to no-bid no contracts to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars to political donors. But even just passing border security bills is proving challenging for the slim Republican majority in the House. They were originally supposed to pass the Border Safety and Security Act as one of their first bills, which would have allowed the DHS to turn away illegal crossers in order to gain what's referred to as operational control of the border. But this bill met with pushback from at least one Republican in the House, one moderate Republican, Representative Gonzalez. Now leadership in the House says they're working on a broader border security package. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Next, a response from a U.K. agency about COVID vaccine safety issues. Previously, we reported on an allegation from Judicial Watch that U.S. and U.K. health officials had a secret agreement. They allegedly were concealing information about adverse vaccine reactions. 
The UK's Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency later responded in an email to NTD. A spokesperson said, quote, It is usual practice for regulators to have confidentiality agreements in place in order to facilitate the rapid exchange of vital patient safety information. Judicial Watch exposed the confidentiality agreement through a Freedom of Information Act request. It included a lengthy email exchange between U.S. and U.K. health officials about adverse vaccine reactions. The MHRA spokesperson said they agreed to the release of the email on the condition that it not identify individual patients. And a man driving a U-Haul truck plowed into scooter riders and swerved onto sidewalks for several miles in New York City today. Police were finally able to pin the truck against a building. We have eight people struck. Two are in critical condition, two are in serious condition, and four sustained minor injuries. What we saw today is a clear example why every moment of every day, the NYPD must be prepared for every possibility. Police say one of the eight injured is a police officer who took action during the incident. The man in the truck sped through Brooklyn for more than three miles before police stopped him near the entrance to a tunnel leading to Manhattan. And we'll keep you updated on that story. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, remember you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, deep fake news anchors. They're reportedly being promoted on social media by pro-China bots, and they're repeating Communist Party narratives. And in the NFL, 24 hours after the big game, people are still talking about that one penalty. We'll bring you what the player involved has to say about it. That and more coming up. The U.S. has told its citizens to leave Russia immediately due to the war in Ukraine. It also cites the risk of arbitrary arrest or harassment by Russian law enforcement agencies. The Kremlin said it was not the first time U.S. citizens had been asked to leave Russia. The last such public warning was in September, after President Vladimir Putin ordered a partial mobilization. The U.S. Embassy in Moscow said in a statement, quote, Russian security services have arrested U.S. citizens on spurious charges, singled out U.S. citizens in Russia for detention and harassment, denied them fair and transparent treatment, and convicted them in secret trials or without presenting credible evidence. The Federal Security Service said in January that prosecutors had opened a criminal case against a United States citizen on suspicion of espionage. Last December, U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner was released in a prisoner swap. She had been sentenced to nine years in a penal colony for possessing vape cartridges containing cannabis oil after a judicial process labelled a sham by Washington. Meanwhile, former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan is serving a 16-year sentence in a Russian penal colony after being convicted of what Washington says are fictitious espionage charges. A new way to spread Chinese propaganda about the U.S. A research firm has identified deep fake video clips featuring AI-generated newscasters, and their messages reportedly align with the Chinese Communist Party. On first glance, these look like news anchors, but they are not real people. They're deep fake avatars made with artificial intelligence. It's unclear who is behind this, but last year, pro-CCP bot accounts 
sent them out over Twitter and Facebook. But this is the first time we've seen footage of an entirely fictitious fake person used in a politically motivated influence operation. This particular set of videos was promoted by an operation that we call Spamouflage, which we've been tracking since at least 2019, um, and routinely amplifies narratives that align with Beijing's strategic interests. The research from Grafica issued a report on this broader campaign says in part, quote, more videos portrayed the U.S. in a negative light than focused on any other theme. These fake news anchors were made with technology from British AI company Synthesia. Well, I'm on the Synthesia company website. I'm clicking on create a free AI video. And for the script, how about let's have the avatar say, hi, I'm a correspondent for CNN. They say I'll get the video in my email in just a few minutes. Hi, I'm a correspondent for CNN. Thanks, Anderson, for having me on your show. This technology is spreading rapidly around the world. China's state media has even created a whole team of AI news anchors. The proliferation of deepfake videos makes it dramatically harder to combat disinformation. Scary stuff. Now, over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champs after downing the Eagles 38-35 last night in a thriller. The game ended with some controversy though as Philadelphia cornerback James Bradbury was called for holding on a crucial third down play with just under two minutes remaining that many thought shouldn't have been called. The new set of downs allowed the Chiefs to run the clock down and kick the game-winning field goal with just under eight seconds left. But while many complained about the call, Bradbury himself was honest enough to admit what happened. Said the former pro bowler, quote, it was a holding. I tugged his jersey. I was hoping they would let it slide. Now, while the game itself had plenty of highlights, events around it did so as well, starting with a very moving national anthem sung by Chris Stapleton. Dressed in all black, the country music star kept it simple and allowed his raw emotions to come through. The touching performance drew rave reviews online and had Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni, among others, in tears. Meanwhile, the commercials, which went for upwards of $7 million for a 30-second ad, were mainly light-hearted with a number of A-list actors on the docket. But one of the few serious ones was aimed at Tesla's full self-driving feature. The ad was by The Dawn Project, which is funded by billionaire Dan O'Dowd. It shows what appears to be a Tesla running over various objects in its path and calls for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to turn off full self-driving until it's fixed. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has 11 games on, including a battle of New York as the Knicks host the Nets at Madison Square Garden. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has five games planned, including the Florida Panthers and winger Matthew Kachuk who's fourth in the league in scoring with 73 points. They play at the Minnesota Wild. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And as Valentine's Day approaches, Colombia needs flower workers. An older workforce is struggling to compensate for a lack of younger talent in the field. According to the Observatory of Economic Complexity, Colombia is the second biggest flower exporter in the world, with a $1.4 billion industry in figures from 2020. 
but the country is struggling to keep up with itself and bring new generations into the flower workforce. Our workforce is getting older. I'm sad that every week our best workers, the most committed ones with the most experience, are retiring. Bringing youth into the business is not easy. We cannot find youth who want to work, who commit. The flower business depends on Valentine's Day for a large portion of profits, so a strained workforce ahead of a huge revenue generator is a serious issue. That is why many businesses close, because Valentine's Day generates money for the year's budget. If there is no workforce to work with, they resort to older workers and sometimes to retirees by giving them the opportunity to work during the season. For seasonal flower workers like Blanca, the monthly salary is around the minimum wage, the equivalent of $242. In the past, Colombia's florists have been accused of paying low wages, having bad working conditions and requiring long hours. For a while, it's been difficult to get workers, especially in the high seasons. During Valentine's and Mother's Day seasons, we need another 20,000 people, besides the 200,000 people who directly or indirectly work in the production of flowers. That is where we face the biggest difficulties. According to Asoco Flores, Colombian producers exported 320,000 flowers in 2022. That's up 20 percent compared to 2021. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.